Well, it's time for the sermon, I think. Uh, children, I can leave at this point to go be with our family life pastor and our children's church ministry volunteers. We're so grateful for all of you. Uh, the rest of us turn to Luke 21, verse 25 through 38. Grateful for our children singing this morning. What a blessing they are. It's a blessing to be in the Gospel of Luke again, week by week through Luke, verse by verse. So today we're going to learn how to live a heads-up life. Last week in Luke, we heard Christ say, keep your heads up, your redemption draws near. So I'm going to pick up with verse 25. This is an eschatological, apocalyptic passage, meaning it's about the end times. And the passage Todd read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that difficult times will come because of difficult people, because of the nature of man and our sinfulness and our fallenness. So there's a lot about this that we covered last week. Uh, some of it refers to what happened in A.D. 70 as the Romans descended upon Jerusalem and destroyed it. Jesus said there's not a stone on this temple that won't be overturned. And so these literally were fulfilled uh, in many ways in A.D. 70. Then in successive generations they have been fulfilled in greater ways. And then as we draw nearer to the end and to the return of Christ, we see that they are like, Jesus says, birth pangs getting closer and closer to full delivery of the consummation of our redemption. So let's pick up with verse 25. <clears throat> there, will be, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, dismay among the nations. In perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear in the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But... When these things begin to take place, straighten up. Straighten up. That word implies moving from sorrow to joy. Okay, it's a transition word. Hey, straighten up. Get your posture ready. And lift up your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near or nigh. In verse 29, we'll pick up with the parable that closes this section. He told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it. And you know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. So this is a worldwide cosmic event that everyone has to prepare for and be ready for. Look at verse 36. But keep on the alert at all times. Keep on the alert at all times. Praying. Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What a powerful verse, verse 36 is. Keep on the alert at all times, praying so that you may have strength to escape these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Then he closes the chapter with this. Now, during the day he was teaching in the temple... But at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that's called Olivet. So apparently Jesus was camping. He was tenting up on the Mount of Olives at night. And then during the day he was coming into Jerusalem and he was teaching in the temple. Because it says in verse 38, all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. To come to him in the temple to listen to him. I'm grateful that you and I have come today into this place. and We are his people, his temple, his Holy Spirit lives within us. We've come here today to listen to Christ and to his word. Father, thank you for our time already together in worship. As I think about the message, the songs that we've sung already, the great hymns of old, they told us so much about how we stand and where we draw our strength from. So today, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. What, what more do we need than what you've already said? So may we take this to heart. May your word change us and strengthen us, not only to be able to escape, but to stand before Christ and his glory in his return. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look again at verse 28 as kind of a, a send-off for where I want to go with the rest of the message. How do we keep our heads up? How do we have our heads lifted up in a society and a culture where so many of us have our heads down? How do we live a heads-up life in a heads-down world? If you think about a, a, where we are, a lot of us do spend a lot of our time with our heads down. And there's several reasons why. One is our technology, our devices. How many hours a week do you and I spend looking down at our devices? A Harvard study in 2019 talked about this and the dangers and the warnings of living with your heads down. You've been at the traffic light and you've wondered, why is that car not moving? <laughs> and you look over there and their heads are down, right? When our 
older sons began to drive, I was shocked. i just give you one example. One of my sons started driving, turned 16. He had his freedom. He had his license. He had his vehicle. He's driving around Carrollton, and he says, Dad, can you tell me how to get to Jacob's house? And I thought, we've driven to Jacob's house many times. Why does he not know where Jacob's house is? You want to know why he didn't know where Jacob's house was? While we were driving around, his head was down. <laughs> now, those my generation older, we knew where everything was because we didn't have anything else to do but what? Look, look out the window. But our devices offer us an escape and a diversion that is dangerous. It's unhealthy. It actually increases our stress. can tend toward making us antisocial. And be disconnected from the world and reality around us, especially God's natural beauty. Our heads are down not only because of our devices, though. Our heads are down because life is difficult. Our heads are down at times because we're sad. And then we're despondent. And we've experienced loss. As someone famously said, most of us lead lives of quiet desperation. And over time, our bodies and our heads begin to, to droop a little. Our life is moving very quickly at a fast pace. And it's no longer here today, gone tomorrow. It's now here today, gone later today, right? And as we repeatedly say, all of us deal with fear and loneliness Emptiness, insecurity, guilt. All of this can tend to us having our heads down. But remember what I said last week. A good coach will come in and say, Hey guys, keep your heads up. So Jesus is saying, Christian believers, followers of mine, lift your heads up. It's the end of the world. And that implies glory and heaven and perfection, and all that God has promises. Well, how do we do this? What does it mean to do this? So I'm going to give us three phrases this morning from our text that help us know what it means to live a heads-up life in a heads-down world. Number one, God has called us to a life of recognizing. A life of recognizing. Lift your heads up and look around you and see the sign. See the signs. Now, throughout this text, God gave us some signs to look for. Wars and rumors of wars, increased difficulty, all the things you look at and read on the front page of the paper, and also the things that Todd read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, so forth and so on. That's one reason why Todd read that passage is because in that passage, God is telling us what is going to happen as that day draws near. So look up. Look at this parable in verse 29. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Jesus basically says, you're smart people. You know when summer is drawing near. You know because of the signs that God has ordained within creation that when, when the leaves start to sprout and, and things start to get green and the temperature starts to warm up, 
Summer is, summer is here. Summer is arriving. So you throw out all your cold weather clothes and you bring in all your shorts and swimsuits and tank tops. Why do you make such adjustments? Because summer is here. And what Jesus is saying is that if you watch the signs and if you know the word and if you're focused on him and if you've got your head lifted up and if you've got your head in God's word, then you know that there are adjustments that you and I are called to make as we watch the signs that God has given us that the end is near. Now what's interesting is that the judgment on Jerusalem in A.D. 70 came upon the Jews because they ignored and discounted and missed the signs that God was giving them that the Messiah was here. Messiah had arrived in Jesus. The kingdom had arrived in Jesus. And God was giving them through Christ signs. So in John's gospel, you may have heard that there are seven signs in the gospel of John that pointed to the fact that Jesus was really the Son of God, the Messiah. The first one was when he turned water to wine at the wedding at Cana. And John says clearly, this was the first sign. He healed a nobleman's son. He healed a paralytic. He walked on water. He opened the eyes of a blind man. He fed the 5,000. And the seventh sign, the culminating sign, the climax sign, was the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. But instead of believing those signs and responding to those signs with repentance and faith, the enemies of Christ just became angrier. And they became prouder. And they became more obstinate. The signs increased their accountability because they did not want to believe that this Jesus was the Christ. So the judgment in AD 70 was judgment for missing the signs. Now when I played high school baseball, Heard County High School brought in a new coach. And let me tell you, after about a week, I determined never to miss another sign. And let me quickly tell you what that meant. You ever see a third base coach do all this? <laughs> the batter is getting a sign from the coach to do a particular thing that's very important at that moment in the game. Lay down a bunt. Swing at the ball no matter where it is because you're protecting a runner, so forth and so on. The sign is for his team. The sign is not for the opponents. The opponents are not supposed to get the sign. Let me tell you, one of my first games, I missed a sign. <laughs> and he grilled me in such a way during the game, called timeout, called me right to him, got in my face, and I was determined I am never going to face that kind of judgment ever again, okay? So what do you do? You heighten your awareness. You determine to focus and memorize and learn and respond. God's given us clear signs throughout His Word. God's given us clear sign from everything that's going on on a, on a, on a world, worldwide scale. And here, the clear sign is this. Our world is under judgment. Things are not getting better. Humans are not going to be able to improve things on our own apart from God. Are, are we getting the sign? 
Now, apparently, if summer comes, there's adjustments that you make in your life to prepare for summer. What are some of the adjustments that I need to make in light of the signs that God is giving me? Well, we know them. Repentance and faith and love and service and evangelism and joy. Now's the time to increase not only your awareness of the signs, but the proper response to the signs that God in His Word calls us to. So throughout scriptures, you have, the scripture you have, hey, wake up church. Don't slumber, don't sleep. Be focused. You and I are called to a life of recognizing that the kingdom of God is near. Dallas Willard said this, The gospel is the good news of the presence and availability of life in the kingdom now and forever by relying on Jesus Christ, the anointed. The ultimate sign is the resurrection of Jesus as this is the one to whom you and I need to look in order to be saved. So Jesus first tells us that we ought to live a life of recognizing. The second point is that Jesus calls us to be a people who live a life of readiness. A life of of readiness. Now, if you look at verse 32... It's a very difficult verse in some ways, but then in other ways it's not a very difficult verse because it says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, that's a little difficult because there were people listening to Jesus at that very moment that would experience A.D. 70, but the future events that are promised later generations would experience. So what does this mean? Some commentators deal with this by saying, well, this is what it means. What it means is, is that every generation that rebels against this stands in solidarity with these first rebellious generations. So, in other words, they're saying when Jesus says this generation will not pass away, he's actually referring to rebellious, unbelieving generations that are part of every generation And so this is solidarity with every rebellious generation, and every rebellious generation will experience judgment. Practically speaking, I simplify it for me, and I say to myself, when I read this passage, this means you, okay? This means you. It means us. It's current, and it's relevant, and it's powerful. I thought about one of those scenes in one of the movies from our childhood the wizard of oz and you got dorothy and the lion and the tin man and toto and the scarecrow and they're on the yellow brick road and they come to this spooky forest it's dark and there's these horrible looking trees and sounds and creatures and there's a sign And they look at this sign, and the cowardly lion looks at the sign, and he reads it, and it says something like this. He reads it really slow. I would turn back if I were you, (laughs) right? 
And the sign was there for whoever may be traveling on the road to turn back. What does Jesus mean by, now he's going from the Wizard of Oz to Jesus again. What a shift, right? This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Every generation is to live in expectancy and anticipation and an adjustment for all that's going to happen because you and I are always only a second away from passing into eternity. So we are called to a life of readiness. Well, what does that mean? Let me find my notes. So there are certain things that we need to put away from us. Look at verse 34. When I hear someone say, be on guard, that to me is a dangerous statement. That to me is a statement that implies warning and readiness. You know how as children you might play sword fight and you would say, on guard. Be ready. Be on your toes. Watch over your hearts because there are certain things that you can add to life that instead of helping you are hindering you. That instead of lightening your load are, are, are heavy on your load. And he mentions three things in, spe- in spe- specificity here, specific here, but then there are other things warned against throughout Scripture. Now those three things specifically mentioned here are dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of life. Now, dissipation is a word that I don't use every day, so I had to look it up. It literally means drunken nausea. It means to gorge yourself out so much on something that you say to yourself, I can't do this ever again. Now, this happens to me almost every time I eat Mexican food. (laughs) I mean, the chips and the sauce, <laughs> I just keep... You do this too. You say, this is what you say to yourself. I'm, I'm never going to eat Mexican food again. Why? Because you've gorged yourself out on it so much that you're useless the rest of the afternoon or the rest of the evening. Now, in the world we live in, there is so much available to us. And I'm not just talking about food and drink. So what he seems to be saying is that there's so much food and so much drink and so much pleasure and so much to be worried about. Look, lighten your load. These things are not helping you. They're actually weighing you down and causing you to be sluggish and make bad decisions and slow. That's not the life of readiness. Everyday secular life will weigh you down. And in a culture where we have so much to live with, someone else has said, well, we have so little to live for because our hearts and our minds aren't ready for eternity. Jesus warned earlier, okay, about having your life, your spiritual life, just choked out with worries and riches And the pleasures of this life choking out the Word and the Spirit in your life to prevent you from bearing fruit to maturity. Now to me, this is an inordinate obsession and focus on 
as I said, food and clothes and homes and cars and bodies and sports and politics and all this stuff. You're there causing us to lose our focus. I'm there altering my vision and decision making. I was listening to a radio program this week. One of the best players in Major League Baseball made a series of horrible decisions, and he has been suspended for the rest of the season because of performance-enhancing drugs. I'm not talking about Ozuna, who plays with the Braves, okay? This was before that. But the comment was made about this player... And one of the commentators says, you know, this is a kid who made a bad decision. But then I wanted to stop myself and ask, why do we make bad decisions? Why do we make bad decisions? Because we're fallen people living in a fallen world, yet you and I are called to to readiness. The children saying it, I'm in the Lord's what? Army. (laughs) What does army imply? Focus? And battle and readiness. I've got to move on. Be on your guard. I'm in verse 34. Be on your guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness, the worries of life. And then that day come on you suddenly like a trap. Jesus said it's going to come suddenly like a what? Like a, like a thief in the night. It will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But look at verse 36. Oh, here's how we stay alert. Here's how you stay on your toes. Keep on the alert at all times doing what's in verse 36. It's there for the taking. Praying. This is not that complex. The problem's not so much in my head as in my heart. That if I will every day work through my heart and mind, the Lord... It's my shepherd, right? I shall not want. If I will work through my mind every day, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He taught us how to pray. And we are to do this at all times so that we may have strength from God and relying on Him and not ourselves to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So how is my prayer life? How is my daily discipline and personal Bible study and the readiness that God calls me to? The flood caught many off guard. In Sodom and Gomorrah, many were caught off guard. The rich fool in Luke chapter 12 was caught off guard. Death was coming to him then. Keep on the alert at all times. Wake up. Be ready to have strength to escape, to have strength to stand, and to stand before the Son of Man. But that that implies a question, how is it that a sinner like me could ever possibly stand before Christ who has all purity and all power and all glory and perfect holiness and light. 
How can I be ready for such an event and such a person as that? I hope to get to that before I close, but let's look at the third and last point. We're called to a life of recognition. We're called to a life of reverence, excuse me, readiness. And then here's the third one. We're, we're called to a life of reverence. A life of reverence. I, I don't want to dismiss this, these last two verses, 37 and 38, because as Jesus was camping out on Mount Olive, he would come down and he would teach daily in the temple and people would get up early and they would come and sit under his teaching. They had devotion and respect and reverence for Christ. And what's interesting to me is that they were hungry to hear this daily teaching before the cross and before the resurrection and before the ascension. Now, as he departed from the earth, he gave them a mission. Go and make disciples of all people and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So people of God are called to be taught by the words of God and be transformed and strengthened by the word of God to know Christ and to know the gospel and to build our lives on that solid rock that is his word that heaven and earth is going to pass away but his word will never pass away. So hungering and thirsting in reverence and devotion for, for Christ and for his word, knowing two things. He loved me, and he gave himself up for me, and he was risen in glory. And those who are now in Christ will be forgiven and dressed in righteousness to be able to stand, to stand in confidence when he returns. The early church, after the day of Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship and worship. And God multiplied their fellowship as they in reverence devoted themselves to Christ because of His love and because of His glory. So you and I are called to recognize and be ready. But ultimately we're called to have reverence because He loved us he gave himself up for us, and he is the risen king. Hey, I was moved by Billy Vaughn this morning before church started. Billy comes up to me, and he's got two championship rings that look like the real rings that the players got from both UGA's championship this past year and the Braves World Championship this past year. That's so cool. Billy will not be afraid to show you those. He's got them with him in his pocket. But you know what I, was thought, I thought was better than, than, than a world championship? Is he has a son who loves him so much that he bought him those two rings. You know what's better than a championship? Is a son who loves you that much, right? Who cares that much. You know what we have in God and in Christ and why we should be completely devoted and reverent? Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? How are we going to stand in judgment before the Son of Man? Well, it's reverence for Christ 
and the gospel, Christ and his love, Christ and his holiness, Christ and his judgment. We already sang how you stand, dressed in his righteousness alone, what faultless to stand before the throne. That's how we stand, is through the gospel. How firm a foundation. Though we go through hell, he will never, no, never, ever forsake us. Aware of his love, God has not withheld his son from us. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? But also reverence for his glory. Last week I was trimming some hedges at my house. I was up on a ladder. This is a high bush. So I'm probably six, eight feet up a ladder. And I've got extended these trimmers. And I'm trimming this this bush and kind of flatten out the top of it. But, but to the north, there's a, a pretty strong thunderstorm. <laughs> and there's lightning in the distance. And I'm trimming and I'm kind of keeping an eye out. And here it comes closer and I'm trimming and I'm kind of keeping an eye out. <laughs> and it comes closer and I'm trimming and I'm kind of keeping an eye out. And I'm raising that metal, you know, above my head. And then I had a good talk with myself. And I said, you better humble yourself and go down. And find your place of safety in the house. This storm is way too much for you. Yes, we have reverence and gratitude for his love. But when I read about what's coming and the strength, there's not a person alive who can stand on their own before the holiness and the intensity and judgment of Almighty God in this day. So in humility and in reverence and in total surrender, there is no refuge from Him. We've said this many times There's only refuge in Him. But those who by faith take refuge in Him need not fear judgment, need not fear the return, for there is no fear in perfect love. Perfect love through the gospel has cast out all fear. And when He returns, you are counted and accepted and loved and you stand before Him strengthened because of who He is And because he says about you what he says about Jesus. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you will recognize and be ready and be reverent, it won't catch you off guard. You will say what we said when we started. Hey, lift up your heads. It's the end of the world. The king is here. Let's pray. Father... Thank you so much that we can, we can look to you. We can look to Christ. We can look to his word. And we can know that we can stand with confidence and strength no matter what may come. Todd said it so well from the very beginning. If, our hand, if we are in your hands, and if you've numbered not only our hairs but our days, And you've inscribed us in the palm of your hand. Lord, we need not fear. For we know that the hands of God are nail-pierced hands. 
And they prove to us that you love us. They prove to us that you've taken the judgment that our sin deserved and you've placed that on your son so that we might be forgiven and changed and given a new nature and bound for glory and perfection in eternity to come. Thank you for such assurance, Father. Thank you for such love we find in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our hymn of invitation. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. You come as we sing. There's no other name given under heaven whereby men might be saved than that name Jesus. God to the rescue. God saves. Uh, a couple of things before we close. Choir today will practice at 5. Catherine will be back for adult choir. Uh, again, I want to thank our children's choir for singing at 6. So children's choir, youth, and adult Bible study, all that's at 6. And I hope and pray you all have a blessed afternoon. I want to wish my mom a happy birthday. Yeah. If we're going to wish a birthday, we got to get that one in there, right? Mom, I love you. Thank you for being a wonderful mother. Any word before we close? If not, y'all have a great afternoon. It's such an encouragement to see all of you here, and I hope and pray you have a blessed week. We're grateful for Todd standing in and... Uh, Singing, reading scripture, praying, closing us out. Todd, you got anything to close us with? Yeah, let's sing God is so good. Amen. God is so good. Thank you.
to 